is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, uh, third one this week, and uh, we're coming in with a banger. Adam Newson is back on the pod to talk about all of the latest news. Adam, how are we doing? Surviving. Surviving. <laughs> <laughs> Getting through January. Only a week more to go now. I mean, Adam, I'm admittedly, you know, we talked a little bit before the show. I'm a little tired right now, but I can't imagine how you're doing. Um, has a transfer window ever moved this fast for you personally? I mean, the summer was up there. Um, <laughs> this is uh, maybe taking it to another level. And it's very different, of course. I mean, you rewind the clock a year ago and the big Chelsea transfer story was, uh, oh, are going to Chelsea bring back Emerson? Or are they not? That was literally the extent of last January. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy one, and I'll close it off. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild to think about from from whence we came, right? Um, look, you guys know what we're going to cover in here. It's going to be a lot of transfer news. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Thiago Silva's uh, looming contract extension and a whole bunch of other goodies, but. Um, of course, uh, just a quick note, if you are looking to come to London with us uh, in in March, perhaps we'll see Adam while, whilst we're over there. Um, your deadline is January 31st, so that is coming up uh, as you're listening to this in about six days. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us, contact at LondonIsBluePodcast.com or DM us in Twitter or Instagram and we will get you sorted. But... That is enough delaying, Adam. We uh, we have to get stuck in. Um, there was so much news on Monday, and, and of course you're hearing this on Wednesday, so normal disclaimer that if something <laughs> has happened in the 16 or so hours between when we record this and when you're listening to it, them's the breaks and please don't yell at us. Things are moving fast. Um, but on Monday, uh, UEFA, the, the story came out that UEFA simply does not like what Chelsea's doing with uh, contract amortization, and they're going to be looking to limit that uh, in in the future. I think over the summer is, is the next time they're going to hold some sort of general meeting about this. Do you think that bit of news, and I'm, I'm summing that up without all the legalese, as you'll note, um, because I'm not a lawyer, although every day I think I should have become one. Um, does that sort of story do anything but embolden Chelsea this window in, in a window where they've already spent as much as they have? I mean it's not gonna it's not gonna deter them at all. Um <laughs> look, I think we know going into this last week now Chelsea want to bring in a central midfielder. They want to bring in a right back. These were two positions. I mean we go back to the start of January we probably would have said were were key positions to fill anyway. Um but it may just push Chelsea over that edge because we know the strategy that Bowley and Clearlake have been going down with these long contracts. We know that they want to spread the payments out over the length of seven, eight years. And if you're not going to be able to do that from the summer, um, then you may as well try and get what you want to get done now. Um, to be completely honest, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that this is being... like. It seems like Chelsea found a loophole here or of taking advantage of, of the situation. And clubs have complained. And it's going to change from the summer. But Chelsea have already done everything they needed to do pretty much in terms of getting these guys on longer contracts. So it's only going to impact the clubs who maybe wanted to repeat that process going forward. So Chelsea have got their stuff done for the most part. The drawbridge is going to be pulled up and other clubs won't be able to follow suit. So I don't particularly see how 
that helps other clubs combating this for, from a Chelsea perspective when they've done it already. Yeah, I saw a couple of really good uh, tweets yesterday. And of course, these are not legalese tweets either, so don't come for me. I've already made the disclaimer, but I think one of them was essentially like, Longer contracts have been around for a really long time. This is not some sort of newfangled innovation. Keppa in 2018 was put on a six plus one contract or seven plus one contract. Uh, Arsenal signed Cesc Fabregas to a long contract back in the day. This this is a, a simply what what feels like an enormous overreaction to something that Chelsea are doing and that the bully Clear Lake group does in the United States with baseball contracts like we talked about last time, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a, you know, we're just going to spread out the cost over a longer period of time. Like the player makes as much money as they're going to make. We're going to spread that out and kind of lessen our, our per annum blow on the, on the, the FFP regulation and everyone's going to be happy. And like, of course you don't want to have 15, 17, 20 year contracts come up. I think like that's obvious, man, but for a, 21 year old to have a seven year contract doesn't, you know, it puts them at 28 by the time that's over. That's mm -hmm. not unreasonable by any means when you, when you look at it across the board. And I think your point is really good, which is okay. So no one else can do it now. I mean, why not go sign someone like Enzo Fernandez, who we're going to talk about next to a, a nine year deal right now? Why not go do it? I mean, it's, it, you know, you're kind of like, I guess you, you caught us, but we're going to get it done. This is, I mean, there's no way they can go and take any of the deals back now. I mean, like that's, it's, it's a really good point. I don't, what's UA for thinking about just hitting Chelsea. Yeah. So it's a strange one. It's a strange one. But as I say, Chelsea have got these guys tied down now. The regulations will come in in the summer. Mm -hmm. So the, the deals they've done so far won't be impacted. And the contracts they've, they've given out so far, from what I understand, won't be impacted in, in terms of amortization. So so, yeah, we'll see how it goes in the summer. But uh, Chelsea have done probably the majority of what they wanted to already. Well, uh, the thing the majority of fans really want is Enzo Fernandez, uh, it turns out. And, you know, we're, we're smiling about this because, you know, what is dead may never die, as they say in Game of Thrones. I mean, this was Benfica were furious. Remember? Remember days ago <laughs> that, that Benfica were never coming back to the table? And yet... Uh, on Monday, we see, you know, a host of stories, including your own, say that Chelsea are back in for Enzo Fernandez. I mean, we kind of know roughly what the what the buyout clause is. I think Chelsea have been kind of cute before trying to pair players or loanies with with money. I mean, what's your thought on where Chelsea were and where they're potentially going here? I think we said last week, didn't we, that it was a deal that was maybe on live support. It wasn't completely dead, but it was still looking unlikely. And if I'm being completely honest, I mean, this still seems a very difficult deal to get done. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Chelsea are going back in um, and say, from what I understand, you know, are going to pitch another proposal to Benfica, but Benfica's stance publicly and, you know, from what I can gather privately is still very much, well, this is the price. This is the release clause. If you want to get Enzo Fernandez, you have to pay that. Now we can get into the discussion of maybe, look, we, we know Chelsea don't want to pay that kind of money and the release clause is about £105 million. Um, they don't want to put that all down in one go. Of course they don't. That would be, even for Chelsea, that would probably be too much to stomach. Um 
But if they can get back to the table with Benfica, maybe they can come to an agreement in terms of instalments. But yes, Chelsea are going back in here. But I still think personally that this is going to be difficult for them to do unless we get to the last few days of this window and, and one of the two parties decides to do, well, on Chelsea's part to do something quite extraordinary or on Benfica's part to, to sort of maybe change their stance a little bit and soften it. Um, as I say, I still think it's quite difficult to do, even though Chelsea will will go and test the waters again with, with Benfica. Well, and, and the risk for Benfica, right, is that they bought this player for very little money, I think just over the summer, right? I mean, this is like, He's six months into his Benfica contract, really, at this point. And what if he gets injured? You know, what if he doesn't perform as well as he's performing right now? He's on a bit of a heater, obviously, with the World Cup. Will you ever get anywhere close to that hundred and some odd million buyout clause again? I mean, like, that's kind of the, the game that you play in these sort of larger contract negotiations, right? It's like, of course you want the money, and of course... You know, if, if a club comes in and says, hey, we're going to buy him for 120 million euros, then everyone's happy and we move on. But it's still a huge amount of money for a player who's unproven in Europe's big six leagues. I mean, do you see any way that Benfica kind of softens their stance at this point? I mean, all the points you made there are very valid. And I'm sure these are the conversations that would be being had at Benfica in terms of, is this going to be his peak value? What happens, like you say, what happens if he has a poor second half of the season and really drops off? What happens if he gets an injury? Are we going to get this kind of money put back on the table for him? And, and you know, it is, it's a difficult balancing act for clubs. We, we've we seen players in the past who a lot of clubs have been interested in. Um, sort of the one that instantly came to mind for some reason was Andrea Bellotti, who for ages mm-hmm. was like the golden boy of Italian football. And Chelsea were interested in it was 60 million, 70 million. And I'm pretty sure he ended up leaving Torino uh, last summer or, or summer before on a free transfer. Um, so there is a window sometimes when clubs can get absolute maximum value for for a player. Chelsea, uh, sorry, Benfica may be here with Enzo Fernandez, and once you get into those last two three days of a window, the sharp reality may be that that Benfica do come to the table. But as I say, at the moment with seven days to go they're very firmly saying it's release clause. And if you don't come back, then that's fine. So let, let's pretend a, a world that will make everyone sad that Enzo Fernandez does not come to Chelsea in January, right? Which I think would be probably better odds than not right now, um, as we're speaking at what is 8.22 central time <laughs> on Tuesday, the 24th. Things may have changed by, by the time you listen to this, but... Uh, what what are some other names that Chelsea might consider here? Obviously, Caicedo has been the big one. We all know Chelsea has a huge amount of interest in Declan Rice. I mean, is there is there any other midfielder besides those two that you think Chelsea's working on right now? To be honest, we we've heard a little bit of talk about Chelsea maybe being ready to loan in a midfielder if if needed. That may be tricky to do. I mean, you're you're not going to get probably a peak or sort of a top midfielder on loan in January. Um, I've seen, you know, Matt, Matt obviously reported about Anana at Everton. I've not heard anything about that personally, but of course that doesn't mean there's nothing in that. Um, and yeah, Caicedo is an interesting one because we know the Brighton are husking for an awful lot of money for for a guy who they got for a fraction, I mean, of what they would demand for him now. Um, and I'm not sure Chelsea are willing to go to that point just yet. Um, essentially, so 
we, we know there's interest in Declan Rice, as, as you said. That's definitely going to be one, I think, for the summer. Do Chelsea keep their powder dry? Can they afford to keep their powder dry, given maybe what we, you know, we'd like to see happen during the second half of this season and, and Graham Potter's uh, sort of team really coming into shape? Um, maybe, maybe not. But at the moment, it, it, either way, if they're going to go down the, the Fernandez route, if they're going to go down the Casado route, if they're going to do something maybe a bit different with a loan, it will probably cost them a fair amount because clubs know that Chelsea want to sign a midfielder and that they know that their their priority target is is going to cost an absolute fortune. We see. Look, I, I've made the argument last time that we were on the the pod that I you know if I'm going to prioritize one, I'm prioritizing Declan because it's simply the profile of midfielder that we do not have currently. Right. Say the same about Enzo, but I think we're probably closer to him than we are to Declan in terms of profile. West Ham are struggling significantly this year. Does Chelsea do anything sneaky in the January window to, to potentially try and price him out? Because, again, if you're talking about like risk factors for West Ham, going down essentially guarantees that you're going to lose the player for a lot more money than you would have <laughs> if you if you had sold him. So just thinking about the economics of that situation, Adam, is there any chance that that sneaky bid comes in? I would be very surprised. Um, and I would be astounded, if I'm being honest, if West Ham were to let him go this month. I could see the logic of saying if, if West Ham go down, they won't be able to demand the same sort of fee. But the the fee that they would demand or the money they would lose, I guess, in that in that situation would probably pale into insignificance compared to losing out on Premier League money for next season um like you know being in the premier league is worth probably around 190 to 200 million pounds a season um and with the best will in the world they're never going to make that on declan rice um especially given his situation now so yeah look, chelsea could do anything in the last week of this window which is why it's um why it's so difficult to get a handle on on, on it all but as I say, I would be truly astounded if anything was to happen on Declan Rice this month just because of how important he is to West Ham and, and the situation they're in. Yeah, I mean, truly astounded. We've been there before, Adam. It's not impossible. <laughs> in the words of the great Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. Um, let, let's let's turn our attentions from midfield to, uh, to right back, which is, you know, I think if you're making a case... For either one, you could probably have a strong uh, position on which one's more important to Chelsea uh, advancing up the Premier League table or, or having a shot in Europe. I think my take is, you know, you could probably cobble together something in midfield that is serviceable. But if Reese James isn't healthy and isn't going to get healthy through the end of the year, there is nothing that resembles a firm replacement for him in this team as it stands today. So I think I would put my argument more towards right back being more important. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the positional need and like what you would stack rank as, as more important than the other? I, I can see the argument about right back because we don't have a natural to come in for, for Reese in that position. I mean, yes, Trev Chalabas stepped in and, and has done actually okay. Mm-hmm. As can maybe do it every now and then, but maybe not consistently at the level you want and and certainly not two matches a week in that position and we know how important wing backs or, or fullbacks are now in, in modern day football they are essentially the guys who offer you your width a lot of the time because we like or, or most teams now have sort of inverted wingers who come inside so if it was me I'd definitely be looking at the right back situation and and obviously 
we know now that Chelsea are in talks with Leon over Malagusto. Um, from what I gather, no bid has been sort of gone in and has been accepted. There's been some early talks. There is a sort of confidence uh, that Chelsea will get this one done because it's not going to cost the earth. It's not going to cost Enzo Fernandez money to get him out of, of Leon. He's a 19-year-old as well, so it's got a huge upside to Chelsea longer term. Um, he's only got 18 months on his deal as well. And I know Leon are actually quite being uh, quite bullish about this from what I can gather, because even though there is a contract situation now and, and come the summer, he'll only have 12 months. They're kind of banking on the fact of he's such a high potential player that even come the summer, even with 12 months, there'll still be a lot of interest and they'll be able to sort of stick firm to their price um, on him. So there's a number that Chelsea need to go to, I feel. Um, if they do that now, then they'll get him. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, 70, 80 million, anything like that. So in terms of importance, I mean, you, as you say, you can make a very strong argument that getting him in in this last week is, is going to be as important as anything else, just so that Chelsea do have that that cover for Reese and, and almost security that if it doesn't happen, I mean, if you need to play Reese at uh, right centre-back for whatever reason, as we've seen before, you can do that knowing that you've got a very capable wing back slash fullback to come in um, as well into the team. I, I guess uh, is is Gusto the only right back? Is this the only option that Chelsea are legitimately thinking about in January, or are there others that are kind of a tier B, tier C list as we've kind of seen the Chelsea old guard do in the past? Yeah. Well, I think we've seen, haven't we, throughout January, Chelsea have, have been sort of mooted to be interested in a lot of right-backs. Um, you know, there's Juranovic at Celtic, who's, who's now moved on. I think they've had a look around um, at different options and have come to the conclusion, you know, with a week to go, that the Gusto would be the best choice and and they're going to go for that. So at the moment, I think that's probably the guy. And I know he's a sort of player. I know Chelsea have drawn up this Vision 2030 list and have had lots of different players who they see in different positions on that at different clubs. Um, he's supposedly somebody who's been on that list. Um, so he's someone the club has known about for a while. And, and as I say, he seems to be priority in that position. If they can't get him, I've not heard anything particularly concrete in terms of who they shift their focus to. Um, and that is maybe something they'd wait till the summer. But... As you say, there is a need there to, to try and do this. And I think this one, I personally, I would be more confident on this one right now than I would be on Enzo. Well, that's news to my ears, obviously. I think this is a huge amount of need. Um, so, look, uh, we're going to take a quick ad break, Adam. We will be right back to get into the clear-out protocol <laughs> that will need to happen, along with Thiago's contract extension and... Uh, a couple of notes on Mudrik and Madueke, a couple of maybe we're going to call them M&M in the future. Who knows? <laughs> um, but look, uh, thanks to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. And we will be right back. All right, Adam, we, we are back uh, from from the quick ad break uh, with incomings. This window surely means that outgoings will start to be processed, whether it be at the end of January or certainly as we get right into the summer. I mean, Let's just talk about this. How, how many do you think potentially leave in January? We have squad registration considerations with UEFA and the Premier League, I think, are on top of most fans' minds at this point. I mean, g give us a sense of where this might go. Yeah, that, that squad registration um, for the Champions League in particular is going to be very interesting because you can only register three new players. 
And we know Chelsea have already signed more than that, especially for the first team and uh, and want to do more. So that's going to be intriguing to see because there are going to be one or two players left off that Champions League squad list, um, which I'm assuming, you know, most players won't be t- too happy about, even if they've been pre-warned, it's a possibility. Um, but as you say, even before then, you, you need to look at moving players out. You need to be looking at sort of taking players off the list as well. Um, and, you know, I said last week, from from what I gather, you know, Hakim Ziyech, Chelsea have, have been prepared to list to offers for him for a while. There does seem to be some interest sort of brewing. He's playing fairly well, um, which I guess is the other sort of caveat now. He, he's found some form at the World Cup. He's brought that back to Chelsea. He, he's looking a threatening player off that right side. Chelsea have waited a long time probably to see... Ziyech in this mould and, and let's not pretend it's been like it's two or three months he's had three or four strong games and and maybe that does come into your mind and sharpen the focus a little bit of, of kind of similar talk we were talking about Enzo there is a right time to sell sometimes yeah um, and maybe Chelsea have hit that sweet spot with, with Hakim Ziyech especially as they brought in um, other attackers the Aubameyang situation is such a complicated one because we know he cannot move to another European club this season, he would have to go maybe to, to MLS or, or another another uh, league with with a season which runs through the summer. I'm not sure there's that interest there in him, to be completely honest. And unless Chelsea want to just release him, then I think he's probably a play that stays around. Um, we know there's interest in Ruben Loftus Cheek from Newcastle. That's been been reported. You know, I've, I've reported previously about Conor Gallagher. There's interest there from from Newcastle and, and Crystal Palace who would love to have him back. But I'm not sure shifting off the homegrown players is exactly what Chelsea need to do right now um, because that, that doesn't truly impact their squad list for the Champions League. They need to, I believe that they need to deregister two non-homegrown players to then be able to register some of the signings. So it's, it's a tricky position Chelsea are in because every club knows that they need to move players on now. Um, and uh, and they're not going to be willing to pay big money to to do Chelsea any favors. So it will be say it'll be intriguing to see what crops up over the next week. What Chelsea are willing to do, how much of a financial hit they are willing to take on players. And I think that is, to be honest, something that we're going to see this month and into uh, and into the summer because there's a lot of players this summer who Chelsea have to make decisions on. And I mean, these are senior guys. Um, Obviously, we know Jorginho's contract situation. There's no real movement on that. It's still, as things stand, looks like he he's going to move on. What do you do with the two goalkeepers? Because we know that is a position Chelsea have, have been looking at already and looking at maybe improving upon. And you cannot have Mendy, Kepa and another goalkeeper so that you'd imagine one of those two go. You want to look at the defence. Obviously, Koulibaly hasn't had the best season. Um he's on a very big contract. He will still have three years on that contract. Can you find anyone to take him? Maybe, maybe not. Um, then you you get into the, the midfield. If we say, you know, there's interest in Ruben, there's interest in Connor, Christian Pulisic will only have a year left on his contract. Mason Mount will only have a year left on his contract. There's sort of talk around Kai Havertz still, um, although that, that, that Bayern link has sort of been played down a little bit in the last couple of days. So we get to the summer and there is going to be a lot of big decisions for Chelsea to make over several players because, you know, so much work has been done already to reshape this squad, to bring the age profile down of this squad. 
but there are going to be more decisions to make down the line. I guess if you're Chelsea, right? I mean, you're right. I mean, people will see the cards in our hand, right? Um, We're not, if we're smart enough to see it, so are seasoned football executives, (laughs) right? So um, you, you look at that list, there's a lot of really interesting names on there. Are you just hoping, if you're Chelsea, that some of these players pick up form and start playing their absolute best over the next four months and that they become far more marketable uh, or sellable assets than potentially they are today? Is that, I mean, really where we're at? Or is this simply a move to get the, you know, a lot of wages and amortization off the books, even if it doesn't come in with a, tr- a premium transfer fee? I think Chelsea have always been very good over the last, especially under the Abramovich um, regime of of making money through player sales. Um, that's what's helped them basically balance the books a lot of the time. I'm not sure, and maybe I'm being a bit harsh, I'm not sure you go through this squad at the moment and there's a lot of players that jump out at you and go, right, there's real value there. You can you be able to get a big fee for this player. Um I mean, especially players that you would be willing to let go for big fees. Um, you know, as I say, with the goalkeepers, you've got Mendy, who's not on a huge contract, but maybe isn't playing his best. And then you've got Kepa, who is on a big contract and is back in the team. But you know for well, you're never, ever going to get the 70 million back that you paid no. for Kepa. So what what what's the number you accept for him? If if you decide that Mendy's on the, on the smaller contract, he can be the deputy if he's happy to be the deputy, of course. What's the number you reach for Kepa? And I think you're going to have to do this across the board. The the big, big one, and I know I, I sort of hasten to bring up his name, is, of course, Romelu Lukaku. Now, here's a player you signed for a best part of £100 million. He's on a huge contract, but he's had a really poor season at Inter in terms of his fitness. He doesn't want to come back to Chelsea. He's made it very clear he'd like to stay at Inter. Where do you draw the line in terms of do you just let him leave? Do you rip up the contract and go fine? Then that's that's a hundred million pound asset that you that two let the two years ago you brought to the club. Bowley and Clear Lake may feel it's better value longer term. They are as a far far smarter financial people than me. But it, it's these decisions that Chelsea are going to have to make across the board of how much of a loss do you accept and what kind of bid comes in that you see is is acceptable and helps you essentially get round you know ffp because they do have to make money for player sales um and i think maybe you get to a point where you will see a player that maybe not all chelsea fans want to see leave the club probably maybe leave the club just for a significant fee because it is one of the few deals that they can do and and sort of get back some some positive cash flow oh and we'll we'll leave that spicy take for a later date um (laughs) because Uh, what's funny is when you say a player that most fans don't want to see leave, I, I really, Chelsea fans right now are so split on who's good and who's not. It's like, (laughs) it could be really anyone. Um, so that's, that's fascinating. I I guess the last question I have for you, you know, as as we think about, you know, kind of the, the exit period for some of these players, but that coming either in a week or that's coming in, you know, six months, Graham Potter has a role to play in all this, right? I mean, he has probably had the most chaotic start to any manager in Chelsea's recent history. Uh, he's been given, 
uh, I think a fair amount of reprieve to the to the injured players to allow them to work back to full fitness. I think there's a huge medical, uh, you know, kind of looming operational decision to to happen at Chelsea anyway, right? How do you read on how he may approach the next week? Uh, is this you know, obviously we're, we're playing Fulham on the 3rd of February, right? So we're kind of switching gears to actually playing, not not transfers. But we, we, roughly a week by the time you're listening to this, that Chelsea will be back on Friday the 3rd. Um, do you think there's closed-door friendlies? Do you think that there's, a, you know, kind of ramped-up training sessions? Do you think, you know, Bully's going to jet the team to Spain again for for a little bit of, of R&R? Like, what, what, do you, what do you read into this? into this moment well there's going to be some days off obviously this is a good opportunity with with that amount of time to just let players switch off and i to be honest yes the physical side of it is obviously important but i think it's probably more the mental side of it as much as anything else you give players three or four days where they can just go off and relax not have to think about football and i know we all love football but it is their day job um and if you can take that pressure away for a few days we all feel better when we don't have to think about work for three or four days. Um, so there'll be some time off. There's some team bonding going on. I believe they're doing something today. Haven't been able to quite pin down what exactly. I'm absolutely fascinated to know what they are doing. Um, but there is some team bonding to teachers because, you know, there's a lot of new players. Graham Potter hasn't had a lot of time with these guys away from the pitch, of course. So this is a, a good chance to try and, and build the, the, the harmony of the squad. Um and then, of course, there'll be some tactical work because this is something Potter has spoken about and, and people can use it as a stick to beat him with and say he had the World Cup. He didn't have the World Cup. There were about five players left, five fit senior players left in terms of his squad for much of that World Cup break. And, of course, players came back, but they're all in various stages of fitness and and, and whatnot. So this is his first best part of two weeks to work with the squad to get them into a shape and I just think to be honest we saw against Liverpool I think he had a week to prepare for that game and yes Chelsea didn't win but I did think there was a clear plan how they were going to play they exploited some weaknesses behind the Liverpool fullbacks well and if you have this time I'd like to think that Chelsea come back against Fulham touch wood and there's a far more cohesive unit in place there's a far greater understanding between teammates and Potter probably will have a far better understanding of of certain players and refraining it back uh, bringing it back to January I think Graham Potter even though he'd never ever admit this of course I think Graham Potter probably knows which players by now are going to be the players that suit his football longer term and which don't of course he can't just jettison the guys he doesn't think is are going to suit him because we know historically if you try and do that at Chelsea even with the new ownership I don't think that would, that would work particularly well for you um so we'll probably get to the summer and see where Potter wants to take this team a bit more We'll see the players he believes can can really deliver the football he wants. And as I say, it all links back into then you've got some big decisions to make if you're the ownership group. Yeah, I mean, I think your your point about the mental side is 100% right. I mean, tomorrow I'm going on a golf trip. I'm not going to be on the pod for the next few days. I'm not going to be doing my day job the next few days. We're, we're both going to leave recording this podcast and go do our day jobs, right? It's... It's an interesting look into, you know, the mentality of a player. This has obviously been, 
I mean, maybe outside of March of last year, the most trying circumstances that a new player could enter Chelsea at, right? I mean, it's been a chaotic year to think back on all this change and movement that's happened. I think, to me, Potter seems like the guy who's going to maximize these two weeks, 10 days, whatever you want to call it, um, from a relationship-building perspective. And I think that that sort of thing matters just as much as you know, some of the tactical work that, yeah. you know, if there wasn't trust there before, can he build it? Or if there, if there was trust, can he, uh, improve it? Right. I mean, I think all that sort of stuff could really manifest itself as you go into February and we know February, the champions league picks up again. Right. I mean, we're, we're not far away from the return <laughs> of the champions league, even though it feels like forever ago, right. That, that we played our last game. So, I think all that's really fascinating, and and I'm hopeful the injured players start to come back, obviously, to give him more options, but kind of hopeful that the new guys that have come in just get a chance to hit pause a little bit and like kind of get themselves settled because they're moving midway through a season. They're moving sometimes to a new country. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot going on, and I think you have to have some empathy for these guys, even if the results aren't quite there yet. I think you kind of, I made this analogy over the weekend, but it feels like Chelsea have maybe bottomed out and are coming back up a little bit. And it feels like there are other clubs, you know, I I use Liverpool as a, as an example who are maybe still not at the bottom, right. Still going to have a ways to go. Having just been there, I kind of know how that feels. Right. Um, But hopefully, yeah, hopefully Potter uses this time effectively. We, yeah, I mean, without going too much of a of a tangent, um, it was really sort of enlightening. I thought that before the Liverpool game, Potter was asked about Mark Kukurea, and he gave this very insightful answer. Which, as I say, we can all be guilty as 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 supporters of of being fixated on what happens off the pit uh, on the pitch. Sorry, and we forget the off the pitch stuff that these are normal guys essentially who are living their lives, who have the same pressures, who have family circumstance that that may be impacting them it's very easy to forget about all that stuff when we're just simply watching what happens at three o'clock on a saturday or whenever the match is um and as you say to get away to be able to to maybe go and try and sort things out in your personal life when you have some rare time off which which you know is rare for these guys um can be really important as you and and, for, and potter is and his staff to be fair potter and his staff wherever they've been have always had a very good reputation of, of developing relationships with players of fostering a very open environment and i think that is going to be really important for them going forward because um because yeah it's going to be more uh testing times ahead i'm sure and, and the experiences they've gained coming through the, the this this point um will help them awesome well we're going to take our second and final ad break uh stick around because we're going to talk about tiago silva really quick we're going to talk about Mikhailo mudrick really quick Maybe even Noni Matawike at this point, and uh, perhaps some stadium updates and other things going on. So, final section coming right up. All right, Adam, uh, a quick note, but I think one, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday that it's a rare day, but it feels like Chelsea are in a good news cycle right now. <laughs> There's potential positivity happening. Um, one of the reasons why I tweeted that is the, the news that Tom Roddy reported um, and that we talked about right before we, we got on the show that. Uh, the ownership group are looking to extend Thiago Silva 
uh, sounds like for another year, maybe a one plus one. Um, what what does that look like, and and how do you think that that will go over with the uh, with the squad? Uh, I think I think it'll be for another twelve months, which is probably the logical thing to do at this sure. point. Um, yeah. You know, I was always told. I think I reported it. Um, it's difficult to truly remember. Um, I think I reported <laughs> it during the World Cup that yeah, Chelsea always planned to speak to Thiago once that was all out of the way, because from his perspective, with a with a family, he wanted to really know where he was um, going into the summer. He didn't want to get to May and then to have these conversations, which as somebody with a family completely understands why you'd want that that security and you, you want that that sort of peace of mind early. So. It's fantastic for Chelsea if they can get him tied down. Um, I did wonder if he was going to look at the situation that Chelsea maybe are in. Mm-hmm. His uh, his age, maybe decide to, to hop back to Brazil for a couple of years. But uh, as as long as this guy's willing to play for Chelsea, you keep him around. Um, because his on-pitch performance is outlandishly good for a man his age. His influence, maybe not as the biggest talker because, you know, we know his English isn't amazing still, but just as a presence, as a seasoned pro, as a guy to look up to and follow, you're not going to get many players better than Thiago Silva. Um, And look, we think we all love him to stay around even after he's retired um, in some some capacity. Whether or not that will happen, we'll see um, when he retires at the age of 45 or something. (laughs) I don't know. but yeah, it's fantastic news for Chelsea. And and look, maybe next season you, you you'd like to think next season Chelsea find a way of maybe not relying on Thiago Silva to play every single game. Sure. He's a 38-year-old. Um, if you can find it where you can maybe bring him in for when you really, really have to, then fantastic. And and let's not pretend you do maybe have to slightly accommodate him to an extent because you don't want him pulled out in and I think Graham Potter and and to be fair, Thomas Tuchel has said this before, you know, you don't want Thiago pulled out into the wide areas because that isn't where he's going to flourish at his age. You want him to be stable and secure and do what he does best in which is, you know, defend their box really well, mop up. And I say, as long as Chelsea have the structure in place, as long as he's not pushed to breaking point um, and playing every two days, every three days, like he was last season. Um, and to be honest, mostly this season, um, then fantastic because there is no real sign of him declining despite the fact he is going to be well was it celebrating his 40th birthday will be next year won't it yeah i think it might be 39 in september yeah yeah. um i say that i'm five years younger than he is so i mean really (laughs) what what are we talking about i I think the 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 question that everyone has on their mind is like do, do you think that there is a realistic pathway for him to transition out of playing with this new contract and into any sort of coaching i mean even Betty Ashiel over the last, you know, kind of couple of days has come out with quotes and said how much Jago Silva has helped him acclimate in two weeks to Chelsea. I mean, so my brain automatically, you know, in, in the most simplistic way possible comes in and says, well, if he can do that in two weeks, what can he do with all this? You know, <laughs> but I mean, do you, do you think that's a possibility for him? I think he wants to go into coaching. I think he, he he's spoken publicly about this. Um so he definitely will transition to it, I imagine, when he retires. Whether or not he'll do, you know, this is speculation on my part, whether or not he retires and takes a year just to relax and switch off after a professional football career of 20-plus years and then goes into it, whether he goes straight into it, um, I'm not sure. But look, I think Chelsea would love him to stay, as you know, as just uh, and, and supporters would love him to stay. But I can guarantee you there will be 
other clubs who would also love to have Thiago Silva. I mean, the the adoration he had when he went back to Milan, partly from the crowd, but also just from the journalists in the room at the press conference was really, really interesting. And it showed you the strength of of feeling there, even though he left, I think it was about 10, 10, 11 years ago, there's still this sort of reverence for Thiago Silva. And he even said, you know, maybe one day I'll come back to Milan and uh, maybe not as a player, but as something else. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'll be on Chelsea to really try and uh, show him that he can develop as a coach um, at the club. Um, if he wants to take that route, maybe he'll go down the the route of other former players and jump straight into a managerial role. Maybe not the best thing to do all the time. I think, you know, we're talking on the day after Frank Lampard got sacked. Um, yeah. But, uh, but um, we'll see. I, I, I do think he'll go into coaching though. And, and the way he sees the game, the way he speaks about the game, his personality... I mean, you'd be a fool to bet against him being very good at it. I feel. Yeah, I wouldn't do it if I were if I were giving out advice. Um, I think that's a smart play. Uh, the last thing I want to talk through today is kind of Vision Twenty Thirty, right? Obviously, the signings of Mikhailo Mudrik and Noni Manaweke have have come in. They're they are of a certain profile, right? I mean, and I think they both have contracts that will run right up until twenty thirty, uh, as it stands today. Maybe even a, a little bit over. Um, look, I think there, there's a lot of excitement around this, right? Chelsea are buying, uh, in, in a particular pattern, maybe, maybe take the Obama Yang, Sterling and, uh, and Koulibaly signings out this summer as, as, you know, we needed to replace players and those players were on the market and we bought those players and none of them have really turned out to this point. You know, I think Sterling's probably been the strongest of that bunch. Um, but what Chelsea have done in January and even into the summer was signing some of this young emerging talent, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old is super exciting, right? I mean, you're kind of setting the foundation in addition to having Cobham, which has produced so many great talents already, right? What have you heard about this from agents or from players on, on what the pitch is? Like, is there a sense of excitement? We hear, uh, opposition fans say, quote unquote, the project is hilarious and Chelsea are doomed and all this stuff is not going to work out. <laughs> I have a distinctly different view that this is setting the table for something truly great, maybe three, four or five years. Right. It might take some time. What What is what's your thought or, or what are you hearing from the ground on, on how this is being received by potential players that Chelsea are interested in? I think there's a lot of intrigue and a, a certain amount of excitement. Um, because it is such a grand vision. Um, I think if you were going to plot it in stages and, and you know, look, I, I don't have the blueprints for this all, but it's from bits and pieces you hear. I think if you're if you're plotting the vision, what Chelsea are doing is very much phase one still. They are trying to bring down the average age of their squad. They're trying to bring players into the first team now who can have an impact, but also grow together. Um, and then we're going to get into stage two and three down the line. And I think stage two is you'll probably see step up around the summer, I imagine, which is where they step into the multi-club uh, sort of model. They try to build that up. They get different clubs in different key sort of areas for, for different reasons. You know, as, as, as Boli and, and uh, Badada Boli have spoken about, you know, Portugal is, is a good gateway to South America, but South America in itself, maybe you look at getting a club there that you can then develop and then bring a player into. You then move that player onto Portugal for the work permit reasons. That player then develops in Portugal. 
And then mm-hmm. maybe if they prove themselves, and maybe you can bring them into Chelsea down the line, or you can move them on. And if they can get this, these sort of these clubs in, in different regions and different areas, and for different reasons in place, then you see the model really step up, and I think you'll see the recruitment team probably grow a little bit more. And then it all bleeds into hopefully having Chelsea a, as sort of the pinnacle, and everybody working towards the fact that you know you can hopefully sustain the Chelsea first team with guys who you've brought in and developed over many years um, and then and then are ready for Chelsea and, and you're not spending a hundred million euros mm-hmm. on Enzo Fernandez because you've already had him in your in your you know to to believe he's you know farm system is essentially a baseball concept. You know, you've had you've had the Enzo Fernandez in your farm system since he was 17, 18 years old. So it doesn't matter that he's now 21 and, and costing 100 million because he's yours. Um, and I think it's the same way, you know, there are going to be guys who come through Cobham who get to a stage in their development when they are ready to go out on loan. Um, but instead of having to loan them to a club which has no real, you know, inclination to to benefit you unless this player is out, outstanding, course he'll play, but there's no div- inclination on that club's part to really develop that player. And that's where we've seen so many promising young players at Chelsea you know, fall down because that first loan spell didn't work and that impacts the player's confidence and they try another loan spell and it doesn't work. And then they get into this cycle of, yeah, two years ago you were a really promising player, but now it's not quite there for you. If you can take them to a club that you have a control, if you have control over, you can continue that development and manage it far, far more carefully. And, you know, as I say, it's all very exciting. Um, as a you know, take my reporter hat off. As a fan, I can see the vision, and I think it sounds great. Um, and I hope that Chelsea get there because I do think if they can, and these are of course big ifs, big big ifs. But if they can get this all set up how they 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 want to, then I think it's going to be a hugely exciting future for Chelsea over the next five six years because no other club has managed to pull this off at scale. You know, Red Bull have to an extent. Um, City Football Group have got lots of clubs but I don't think have got it entirely right for them in terms of benefiting benefiting Manchester City but if Chelsea can get their model set up in, in a certain way and get it really really running well then yeah it should be very exciting and hopefully leads to Chelsea being able to sustain Premier League title challenges and, and Champions League bids to win the Champions League again without having to spend where well, what are we at 500 million a season just it's a casual 500 million if you think about <laughs> it hard enough you know um no adam I, I appreciate that perspective i mean i think it's it's easy to get caught up in the short-termism of all this right we're caught up in january and we're trying to see out the next week <laughs> but uh, obviously there's there's a lot of work to do in the future and that's the exciting stuff um appreciate your insights today obviously we'll be in touch if something crazy happens between now and <laughs> and then but um obviously go follow adam on twitter make sure you're keeping up with him and uh until next until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high